the minute he signs the letter of intent, recruiting's done. And now it's, do you love the weight room? Do you love the grind of practice and studying? And if guys are interested in the wrong things, it's never going to work. Any Notre Dame fans out there? Okay, not, enough of that, enough of that, enough of that. Brian Pullian is the associate head coach and special teams coordinator at the University of Notre Dame. And college football is right around the corner here. I know I'm getting excited, so we're excited to have Coach Brian Pullian on. He worked at the Division I level for over 20 years. Stops at Michigan State uh, for a guy named uh, Nick Saban. You might have heard of him before. Buffalo, Baylor, UCF, Stanford, Texas A&M, and now Notre Dame. He also served as the head coach at the University of Nevada, Reno, where he led the Wolfpack to two bowl games in four seasons and a ton of academic success. Considered one of the top special teams coordinators in college football, his units consistently appear at or near the top of the national rankings. ESPN.com and rivals have recognized him as one of the top recruiters in the country at the conclusion of a ton of recent recruiting cycles. He has also served on the AFCA Ethics Committee and on the inaugural College Football Officials Competition Committee. You might also recognize the last name, Polian. Uh, Coach Polian's father, Bill, was the GM and architect of the Super Bowl teams of the Buffalo Bills in the 90s and later as team president for the Indianapolis Colts' two Super Bowl appearances in their championship in 2006. His father, Bill, was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2015. He's also the author of his latest book, Coaching and Teaching Generation Z. Tired of complaining about millennials and have moved on to Gen Z, this is a book to pick up. Given the moment where so many businesses are fighting to find new talent, are fighting to keep talent, are thinking about recruiting, who better to talk to than someone who has led the charge for a leading organization, the University of Notre Dame football team, to find, attract, recruit, and sign top talent. Coach Brian Polian has done it at the highest levels. He knows the system. So let's bring it in. share a little bit about your story and your background and what got you from where you were to where you are yeah that's that's a long journey uh <laughs> so um I come from a football family my dad Bill Polian is in the uh, pro football hall of fame uh over 30 years as an executive in the national football league but he actually started as a history teacher and uh high school football and baseball coach in New York City um so I grew up around the game. Really, the, the, my formative years were spent in Buffalo, New York, when he was the GM of the Bills. And my summer job, when 14 and 15-year-olds are working at Putt-Butt, I was, uh, I was at training camp with the Buffalo Bills working as a ball boy. And from that moment, from the age of 15, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to coach. Um, played college football at John Carroll University outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and from there, G8, I mean, I graduated in, in May of 97 and in June of 97, I was at Michigan State as a GA for Nick Saban, you know, worked my way up through the mid-majors and, and really kind of caught a break at the age of 29 when Charlie Weiss hired me at Notre Dame. Um, and, and I spent five years here with Charlie and developed a reputation as, as a guy that could go recruit and uh, you know, signed Manti Teo and uh, a bunch of guys from the West Coast here at Notre Dame. 
did a couple years at Stanford, a year at Texas A&M, and then was the head coach at the University of Nevada in the Mountain West. Uh, after a four-year stint there, uh, and really uh, an unfinished journey there, but hopefully the you know my time as a head coach will come again. Um, came back to Notre Dame under Brian Kelly, and you know this uh, you know coaching and working with young people has been my passion. I've never wavered from it, and just come to work every day with a smile on my face. Coach, what's it take to be a great recruiter? It's uh, well, first of all, you have to be an intentional listener. Uh, I think too often in recruiting, everybody's got their sales pitch. Here's what we have to offer. And they just kind of spew it out when in reality, um, we need to ask good questions. We need to be intentional listeners. For example, if I'm recruiting somebody on the West Coast to come to Notre Dame and I say, hey, what's important to you? And I want to be close to home and I don't want to be in the cold weather. Well, then that tells me I'm probably spinning my wheels and I should not waste my time. If I ask somebody, hey, what's important to you in this process? And they say the very first thing I'm looking for is a quality education, then I know how to attack the next part of the conversation. It's, it's my job as a recruiter to figure out what the prospect and the family is looking for, whether or not we meet those needs, and if we meet those needs, convince them that we can meet them better than anybody else can. Um, but, you know, too often in recruiting, and I would imagine in the business world, we, we slam our head up against a plate glass window when we shouldn't be fighting that fight. Like part of this is uh, being effective is, is having the common sense and, and no one has time to walk away that it's a, you know, it's not a battle you can win. Sure. It's a, it's, I think there's probably a lot of similarities and you would be able to speak to them, you know, in the general workforce, a lot of times you might have a lot of candidates pursuing a job um, and recruiters might feel like they can just sit back and pick. And there's obviously a challenge to that. And in your business, a lot of you're more pro you're pre proactive, right? You're pursuing the best athletes every day for Notre Dame. What, uh, what is it? I think about questions that you have to ask in the process. What are, what are the hard questions that you ask that maybe uh, sets apart your process than, than maybe others? Sure. There, there, um, there are a couple that are very specific to us, and then there are a couple that people just don't want to ask. Let's start with the ones that are important to us. Um, if you're looking for the, you know, are you looking for comfortable because if you want to be comfortable, Notre Dame's not going to be your choice. We're sitting here today in late February. It's friggin' cold here right now. And our entire student body is trudging across campus because at Notre Dame, you're going to go to class. Nobody takes their school online here. Like there are some places in the country where players will tell you, hey, three quarters of my classes are done online. Like we're going to be in the classroom here and you're gonna be challenged. And it's gonna be, there are days that are gonna be hard and we're gonna ask that, hey, you know, are you ready to be challenged? Because that is, is one of the core values of this place is that you're gonna get challenged. I think one of the things that we've done and we've done it at some other places and it was something that I picked up from my dad um, was we're gonna ask some probing questions and really listen to the answers. 
tell me about a time in your life where you've had to overcome some adversity. Tell me about a time in your life when you feel like you've shown leadership abilities. Tell me about a time in your life where you regret, you know, a decision you make and how do you look back on it? I mean, when you op when you ask those open-ended questions, look, whoever's hiring for a job, there have to be some core skill set. I understand that. But I also think fit and makeup and character, all those things matter too. And when we can ask some of those probing questions and really listen to the answers, that'll tell us something. Yeah, it's not the, what, give me your three biggest strengths and your three biggest weaknesses. No, stuff, right? no. Like, <laughs> I, I'll give you a great example. I talked to, I said to a kid one time, tell me about recruiting. Do you like recruiting? Coach, I love recruiting. Like, all right, well, what do you love about it? I love walking around my school and being the big man on campus. I love all the attention I get. Like, that guy's not going to make it here because the minute he signs the letter of intent, recruiting's done. And now it's, do you love the weight room? Do you love the grind of practice and studying? And if, if guys are interested in the wrong things, it's never going to work. And we can learn those things by asking the right questions. Yeah. You, you just said about you know, asking kids, are you ready to be challenged? And, you know, I showed you a second ago, I got your new book on uh, coaching and teaching Gen Z. And I, I thought one of my biggest takeaways was, there's a ton of really cool tools in here about how you think about connecting and relationship building with young people. And, you know, for, for talent managers and CEOs and all the leaders out there that are hiring kids that you coach, right. That the ones aren't going on to the league or are going into the workforce right away or at some point, what, what if, what were your biggest learnings about Gen Z? Uh, because there's just so many people complaining about them. Well, first of all, they're absolutely relationship driven. And for any manager of people who says, well, that's not me, I'm not warm and fuzzy. Well, you better figure it out because all the kids that we're working with now uh, are, are absolutely relationship driven. They want interpersonal connection. They want face-to-face, -face, they want a conversation. Now they're unique in the sense that a conversation like you and I are having right now via Zoom or uh, texting each other to them, to Generation Z, that's interpersonal communication. Whereas when I was raised, like I would have thought it highly unusual to have a serious conversation with somebody other than sitting there face to face. With Gen Z, that's not the case. You can use um, technology, but they crave interpersonal interaction. They want to see the big picture. I'll give you a great example. I mean, we we changed our punt formation against Alabama in what was a pretty significant change and, you know, changed the personnel a little bit. And the first thing was, hey, why are we doing this? Well, that's the Heisman Trophy winner down there. We're catching the punt. We need to get more people out in coverage. Oh, okay. All right. We understand. Like, they want to know. They want to have a voice. However, and, and look, that's the job of a manager whatever it is your business world is, you've got to find a way to give them a voice, to keep them engaged. Um, you know, they're, they're really creative and they can find solutions that uh, some of us would never dream of, but they need to be empowered, right? Like, okay, you don't like it, help me find a solution. And you'd be shocked at, at some of the ways that Generation Z can come up. 
The other thing too is they're really adaptable. And and I make the analogy with um, I make I make the analogy with with um, a high school football coach where you're not recruiting your personnel. All right, one year I might have a senior quarterback who can wing it all over the field. So now we're going to be four wides, and the next year I don't have anybody can throw. So now we're going to be a zone read option team. Well, systematically those are two very different worlds. But think about Generation Z; they've grown up with phones and information on their fingertips. If it doesn't work one way, they'll find another way and adapting to them is, is, is not unusual at all. So there are a lot of unique traits about this group that, that we need to be aware of, but there are also things that we can take advantage of if we approach it the right way. Right, yeah, the, the one, one section of the book here, you said, you know, Gen Z wants to have fun was oh, no one, of the, one, one of the points you made. And I'll give, I'll give you this to react to. I had a phone call few weeks ago with a new head of HR at a fortune five big company. And they were saying to us, listen, we put all of our workers through employee training. They go through really intensive onboarding. We don't really like fun is not a part of that equation. It's not, it's not, you know, we, we want, it's, this is training and it's serious. How do you react to that as a, as a coach? I, I disagree completely. I just think times have changed. Uh, I used the term in the book and it's not mine. I stole it. And in the book, I think I cited who it was, but we're in the edutainment business. I mean, I'm trying to teach here. I'm no different than anybody else. I might, I might as well be trying to teach history or, or science. I just happen to be teaching football, but I have a lesson plan every day. And we, and in fact, I would tell you that my job has got more pressure because 15 million people will watch us take our exam. And, and there's a scoreboard at the end. There's a clear winner and a loser, but to be most effective teaching, we've got to keep their attention and we got to keep it light. Look, is there times to be serious? Sure there are, but there's also times where we need to celebrate victories and we need to keep it light and it's okay to laugh and it's okay to have personality. And I, I'll give you an example in training camp when we're really in the dog days and we're going at it 12, 14 hours a day, I bring a gigantic tub of Halloween candy into the meeting. And if a guy has one good rep, right, he made one, he stepped the correct way and I see it on film, I'm going to give him a piece of candy and we're going to celebrate him in front of his peers. And then if you make a really good play, you get a Milky Way because everybody knows that the Milky Way is the, is, is the king of the candy bars. And then all of a sudden you see a really good play on the screen and 20 guys are advocating for their peer. Coach, that was a hell of a play. That's a Milky Way play right there, right? And it just you know, the, the most effective we can be is when they are light, when they're smiling, when they're engaged, when we got to make corrections, we'll make corrections. But uh, at least the way I look at it, look, I, I coach a game and it's played by kids. It's supposed to be fun. And uh, the minute it starts to feel like drudgery, then we, we got to adjust. Sure. On top of leading recruiting, special teams is also something that you're known pretty well for. Uh, as a coach, what I want to Developing managers, developing like the next coaches behind you is a challenge for a lot of businesses. What, what, what's different about coaching and teaching your Gen Z players and coaching and teaching and developing the next wave of coaches that work on your staff? Well, when I'm in a position where I can hire my assistant, right, my quality control, or, or when I was a head coach and I was in charge of the entire staff, there's a place for veteran wisdom. There are places for guys that 
can speak truth to power and keep you from stepping on a landmine. But there's also value in young people that can connect and, and can serve as a conduit between a 19-year-old college sophomore and a 46-year-old white middle-aged special teams coordinator, like somebody that can bridge that gap. There's value in that. In the end, I'm going to, I'm, well, it's going to start with first two, then what? And I think that's really important. You know, it's not first who, then what, when we're talking about brain surgery, like you need a trained professional, but there are some places in the world where we can teach smart people what to do let's start with getting great people first. So for me, like the last uh, assistant I hired was a former player of mine from Nevada who was not a four unit special teams player. He was an elite safety, but I knew he was a great kid and he was really smart and he had elite work ethic and, and was a wonderful communicator. I can teach him how to cover kickoffs. I can teach him the techniques that we use. Th that stuff's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for a highly intelligent, self-motivated and, and, and people that can communicate. If they can do those things, I can prepare them to do the rest. And, and hopefully we advance guys that way. I'm sure in your, in your practices, right? From a practice structure perspective, failure is something that happens pretty often, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how do you think about um, challenge when you design it, when you, when you put people through you know, drills and put people through different um, periods in practice. How do you think about the balance of what the what should be hard and what should maybe be easy as a teacher and a coach and an instructor? Absolutely. Um, failure is okay. It's one of the ways that we learn. Um, I will say this, um, too many managers, too many coaches, too many teachers miss the teachable moment. Like something happens and we let it go. And we uh, will address it later. Like, no, there's a teachable moment. Stop and fix it right there. It doesn't mean that it needs to be a three-minute coaching clinic. But, hey, stop. Everybody pay attention. That was wrong. Here's how we're going to cor correct it. I think we're most effective when we don't miss those moments. Um, will I script for success early on? Absolutely. Because I want, I want our guys to feel small victories. They have to have some success. But then there are other times that I'm going to put them in the most difficult uh, circumstances possible. And we're going to teach off of whatever occurs. And, and when we teach off of it, we're going to prepare ourselves for when it happens, live bullets in a game on a Saturday night. So the, I think there's a mix to both. At the very beginning, we want to script for success. We want to put people in positions where they can enjoy some success. But as we get further advanced and we start to prepare for what for us is game day, then I'm going to put them in the worst case scenarios and see how they handle them and then teach off of it. Yeah, it's like that. I like what you said there about the giving, you know, essentially some simple wins. It's, I guess there's, there's a momentum and a confidence that gets built up as you start to just weigh the tough stuff into practice. Yeah. Like we have a situation right now where we have a, we have a player who's way overweight. And, and instead of saying, hey, by April the 1st, you need to be down 35 pounds. What we're saying is, hey, by Friday, we need you down three. And, and let's build small victory on top of small victory on top of small victory. And then we're going to look up 
you know, 60 days from now, we're going to be really excited about where we're at. So uh, I think it's important that, that we work in incremental steps and that, that again, we, we, we have some victories and we build on top of them. It's great. Coach, I got one other, one last question for you. What was your favorite part of writing the book? Uh, you know, as you get, as you went through it, what was the best, the best part for you? Saying that I'd written a book, like I, I heard uh, Bill Lawrence, who, who is a, a really um, well-known TV writer and producer. And uh, I, I became fascinated with the show, Ted Lasso. Like I just, Oh, same here. Oh my God. It was just so good. It was just in a time that was kind of a downer time that was just so upbeat and I think really captured the essence of why people coach. Um, and Bill Lawrence, I heard him interviewed and he said, nobody actually likes to write. They just like to say, I wrote something. But this project was, I, I enjoyed the research. And my favorite part was in the last chapter of the book, I reached out to coaches from college women's softball to soccer to uh, basketball, all, you know, from high school, college to pro and just said, Hey, what are your thoughts on this subject matter? And I was uh, just blown away by how giving people were and how insightful they were. It was, it was, it was great. And it's humbling to think that, you know, I, I wrote this book and had this project and the best writing came from the contributors and not from me, but you know, it, it turned, I thought it was a nice addition to what I think is a is a, a helpful book to anybody that works with young people. Totally, I shared right away after reading it the covenant relationship, consumer relationship. Yep. I thought that was um, that was a really great section for for me for like the younger managers as they start to think about how they develop people behind them because so often you take the best employee and you make them make the best seller, make them a sales manager. You take the best yep. employee, and make them a manager, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna um, be the best coach. No. And, and our approach to the people that we manage cannot be dictated by the production that we get for them. Because like you said, there's going to be somebody on the sales team that may not light it up, but we're going to, if, if we're dedicated to building a relationship and working with that person, we're going to find out, you know, two, three years down the road, they might be extremely gifted in another area and, and we've only discovered that because we didn't just leave them by the wayside. Totally. Coach, thanks for spending the time. Uh, grateful to be here. Appreciate it. You know, some of my biggest takeaways from Coach have to do with how he thinks about the system of recruiting and finding great talent. I think it's clearly evident through the conversation that Coach points out that there is a system. This stuff doesn't just happen. The other thing that struck me was Coach's comments around how he has conversations with initial recruits, how he challenges those candidates in the interview process. How many of us challenge a candidate in the interview process? How many of us let that person know that what the environment is going to be like? Now, in Coach Polian's situation, he made the comment that he asked a player, are you looking to just be comfortable because if so it's not going to be a great choice for you he also made the comment that he asks his recruits are you ready to be challenged there aren't a lot of folks out there listening to this that maybe you're running division one football teams but i think my takeaway in this point is you know what your culture is about you know what the expectations of leaders are 
you know what your business is striving to fulfill insofar as your mission statement is laid out. Are you laying all those cards on the table for candidates? Because the ones that hear that and are excited by it are the ones you want to keep in your interview process. And the ones that aren't, who are scared off by it, who are maybe intimidated by it, or who maybe just feel like it's not a good fit, that's the point where they shouldn't continue in the interview process. It's why that old mantra, you know, higher, slow comes from. But I thought that was some of my biggest takeaways from Coach Polian. Uh, if you haven't, go over to your best bookstore and ask them for coaching and teaching Generation Z by Coach Brian Polian. That's all we got for this episode to Bring It In. Now, don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work. Thank you.